You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode number 10. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Butzbach. Hello, and welcome back, my best lifers. This is episode 10. I can't believe I've made it into double digits already. It's amazing, right? This week, we're going to take a step back from weight loss and into another of the survivorship podcasts. What that means is that this week, I predominantly have my medical cap on, and there's going to be a lot of data, and it may be challenging to understand all of it. If you have questions, reach out through the Best Life After Cancer MD Facebook page. The topic for this week is exercise. Many adults may consider exercise as a means to lose weight or perhaps reduce their risk of cardiovascular disease, but they often do not realize that exercise is an important tool in both the prevention of cancer and the reduction in recurrence. This topic is near and dear to my heart for cancer survivors. I really feel passionately that as a medical community, we may not be making this data clear to each and every one of our survivors. One of the reasons I think some physicians don't focus on it is because as a doctor, Exercise is something we have no control over and really no way to measure. We also have limited time with each patient, and we want to make sure we have covered all the things related to our care first. And sometimes I think it just goes by the wayside. However, this is something I personally evaluate at almost every follow-up with my patients with stage 1 to 3 disease. I track what they are doing, talk with them about the data, and try to encourage positive change. I hope that after this, you will have an understanding of just how important exercise is in terms of increasing survival for cancer patients. We are not talking marathon running or heavy-duty weightlifting. What we are talking about is considered recreational physical activity. This includes brisk walking, enough to get your heart rate up, swimming, low-impact aerobics, biking, brisk dancing, and so on. Brace yourself. We're headed into some of the technical stuff. A recent article in JAMA pulled data from 12 cohort studies of self-reported recreational physical activity and the risk for cancer among adults. The study included data from almost 1.5 million adults with a mean age of 59 years. High levels of activity were associated with significantly lower risk for development of 13 types of cancer. The inverse association between recreational physical activity and the risks for breast and gastrointestinal cancers is well known, but in this study, it also reduced risk of certain types of leukemia, head and neck, kidney, and bladder cancers. Moreover, it also had a preventative effect independent of BMI and smoking status for most of these forms of cancer. There is also evidence that recreational activity can reduce the risk of mortality among patients with a known diagnosis of cancer. To date, this research has been focused on specific tumors. A study from The Lancet used a large database to investigate the effect of recreational physical activity or mortality outcomes across a broad range of adults with cancer. It found that exercise after a cancer diagnosis improves survival, even in patients who had not exercised previously. The findings in The Lancet study come from an analysis of detailed epidemiological data collected over the course of almost 15 years 
in almost 6,000 patients who were diagnosed with a variety of cancers. A significant survival benefit of exercise was seen in patients with the following tumors, breast, colon, prostate, ovarian, bladder, endometrial, esophageal, and melanoma. Regular exercisers had the biggest survival advantage over their sedentary peers. Patients who exercised three to four times each week before and after their cancer diagnosis reduced their all-cause mortality risk by 40% and their cancer-specific mortality risk by 39% compared with patients with cancer who remained habitually inactive. However, patients who exercised just one or two days each week before and after their cancer diagnosis also had significantly improved survival compared with their sedentary counterparts. They enjoyed a 32% reduction in both all-cause mortality and cancer-specific mortality. Astonishingly, even veteran couch potatoes experience dramatically improved survival when they exercise. The researchers found that patients who were sedentary in the decade before diagnosis experienced a 28% drop in all-cause and cancer-specific mortality when they exercised just one to two times per week in the year after cancer diagnosis. The survival benefits were observed regardless of the patient's sex, age, weight, smoking status, or cancer stage. In other words, from a Medscape interview with lead author Dr. Kenioto from Roswell Park Cancer Institute, the association was seen in obese patients, persistent smokers, and in patients who were diagnosed with advanced stage tumors. These findings show that it is never too late to make healthy lifestyle changes that may affect the survival trajectory. This is good news for all cancer patients. These observations highlight the importance that any amount of regular weekly activity is better than inactivity. This is particularly encouraging given that cancer patients and survivors can be overwhelmed by the physical activity recommendations of 30 minutes per day of moderate-intensity physical activity. The study included more women than men, a total of 1,390 patients, or 24.4%, said they did not exercise regularly before diagnosis, and 2,400, or 41.9%, said they did not exercise after cancer diagnosis. Self-reporting physical activity is a primary limitation of this study, as it may be subject to recall error and misclassification especially when we're talking about the decade before diagnosis. So what does this mean for you in particular? What I and many other oncologists recommend is optimally 150 minutes of mild to moderate activity per week for all patients with stage 1 to 3 cancer without clinical reasons to not recommend exercise. There has been some concern expressed about how the exercise needs of seriously ill patients with cancer can be balanced without creating additional health risks, though. Here's where you get the sentence you always get. I am a doctor, but not yours. So discuss with your team your fitness and capacity for exercise. I do not usually specifically recommend exercise for my patients with metastatic disease, especially those with bone metastases, because I do have concerns about the risk of causing fractures and because it has not been shown to clearly improve survival in patients with stage 4 disease to the same degree it does in stage 1 to 3 cancer. In stage 1 to 3 cancer, though, there is evidence that exercise improves survival almost as much as chemotherapy in some cancers, so you really can't underestimate the importance of this. 
This data is very robust and well-proven in breast cancer especially. Exercise is something that only you can commit to doing and actually get it done. If you have never done it before or if you are very deconditioned after treatment, many cancer centers have a cancer fitness program, which can help patients get in the swing of things. In many places, the YMCA also offers free or low-cost cancer fitness programs. Remember that exercising for three to four days per week was associated with the greatest survival advantage. The pace of walking was the only variable that produced a linear effect in reducing the risk for death. What that means is ambling or strolling just doesn't cut it. You have to walk briskly to get the benefit. Even though three to four days a week had the best outcomes, we need to keep in mind that comparing patients who reported pre- and post-diagnosis recreational physical activity of only one to two days a week compared with habitually inactive adults had 32% less deaths. Formerly inactive patients who initiated activity one to two times a week after the diagnosis of cancer experienced a 28% reduction in all-cause and cancer-specific mortality. That is huge. That is something you have under your control to directly improve your odds. It is something that you can start small and work up. It doesn't have to be perfect right off the bat. Any steps you take towards this will impact positively on your survival. If that is not enough reason to start, then this might convince you. I have a very frank discussion with all of my patients who say that they are still tired three to six months after their treatment completes. I'm going to have that same frank discussion with you now. Most people become more sedentary during their treatment. They don't feel good, they are more tired, so understandably, they become less active. It only makes sense that if you do not get back to your pre-cancer fitness level, you are never going to feel as strong, vigorous, and as well as you did before cancer. This means that you have to get off the couch and get moving again. You can take this knowledge in one of two ways. You can decide it makes so much sense and give you a goal to help you get back to feeling awesome. Or you may think it is impossible that it is ever going to happen that you can get back to that place. If you think it will happen, you increase your odds hugely. If you don't believe it is possible, well, I have to tell you, likely it will never happen and likely you will never again feel as good as you did before cancer. It is not easy. Your body has been through a lot. The first two weeks of being more active, you likely will feel more tired. You may have sore muscles, joint aches and pains, and so on that were never there before. You have to push through this and persist. I am not going to tell you it is going to be fun. I will also not tell you it is going to be quick. For many people, it takes six months after treatment completes to get back to where they were before. But I will tell you, in my experience of over 20 plus years, Having treated literally thousands of patients, it is the best guarantee you will get to help you get back to your baseline in terms of how you feel. I want to point something out here. Exercise is not part of the weight loss talk. I believe that exercise is actually pretty limited in its ability to help with weight. You have to be exercising almost constantly to override bad eating habits. The goal of this exercise recommendation is not to be thinner. It is to improve the odds of your survival and help you feel better. What is definitely true for many people, though, is that exercise does help in how you look. It might not help you lose weight, but it does tighten and tone, so I think it is really great in helping to feel better about how you look after cancer. 
Remaining a couch potato after treatment will likely leave you squishy and tired, which I think most of us can agree is not the best look. I also want to put out there that I am not a huge fan of super aggressive exercise in my cancer patients. By this, I mean excessive running, marathons, triathlons, very heavy weightlifting, or other exercise to extremes. There are multiple reasons for this. First, very aggressive exercise puts strain on joints and ligaments that may have been affected by treatment, increasing the risk of pain and injury. I would much rather see my patients doing body-loving exercise that they can do for 20-plus years over something that will burn them out in the short term. Second, there is evidence that very aggressive exercise increases cortisol. Cortisol is produced when the body faces periods of stress, and there is growing evidence that abnormally prolonged cortisol production inhibits the body's immune response. This could potentially make the body more susceptible to recurrence of cancer, according to researchers at the University of Rochester. Cortisol also impairs weight loss, and we know being overweight can increase cancer risk. Third, I think that aggressive exercise runs the risk of further damaging parts of your body that were operated on in the treatment of your cancer. Scar tissue does not stretch like normal tissues do. Scar tissue is more likely to be torn than unscarred tissue. These aggressive types of exercise often require people to ignore pain, and I think that it is really important after cancer to listen to what your body is saying about what feels like good exercise and what feels like misery. Misery can lead to months of not being able to exercise at all, which we know is not useful. In all honesty, what I would love to have all my patients do is walk or swim. Both are low impact, but walking is the most versatile. It is also weight-bearing, so it helps to maintain bone density in women who are postmenopausal or on hormones that suppress estrogen and progesterone, and in men who are on any type of androgen deprivation therapy, which is most often used in prostate cancer treatment. It can be done in almost any weather with the right jacket. If it is summer, it can be done early in the morning or later at night for better temperatures. It is free. It does not require any equipment. It does not damage your joints, does not raise your cortisol, and actually likely decreases stress and cortisol. It can be solitary or social, depending on what brings you the most joy. It can be something you use as a meditation time, getting even more benefit out of it. It can be easily tracked and documented. It really is a no-brainer from my standpoint. Okay, so now you are convinced. The question now is how to get yourself to do it. Here, the coach hack goes back on. Plan ahead. On Sunday, look at the weather for the week. Plan what days you will walk. Plan the time. Set an alarm or reminder for those days. The day before, if you are going to get up and go early, set out your clothes and shoes. Maybe even fill your water bottle with ice for the morning. When the time comes and the timer or alarm goes off, you don't have to decide to walk. Decide to get out of bed and use the toilet. Next, decide to put the clothes on. Then, decide to put the shoes on. By then, you likely will have enough momentum to actually do it. Decisions ahead of time and doing whatever you can to make it as easy as possible will definitely help increase the odds that you will do it. But you have to plan a day and time and what you will do instead if the weather doesn't cooperate. A yoga video? Five minutes of the stairs in your house? Plan what you will do instead if it doesn't work and write it down. Okay, so the review for this week. Exercise reduces the risk of getting many cancers up front. 
it also significantly reduces the risk of your cancer coming back. Furthermore, it helps to get you back to how you felt before cancer. More is better, but any is better than none. It doesn't have to be, and from my standpoint shouldn't be, marathon running or competitive weight training. It shouldn't be with the goal of being thin. Make a plan ahead of time and stick to it. As a scientist, I feel the need to reference the studies I discussed. They are listed on the Facebook page if you want to look up any of them for more details. All right, my best lifers, that's it for this week. I'll talk with you soon. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. I would really appreciate it if you could write a review on Apple Podcasts. This allows other patients to find me more easily. You can also find more information on my Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD. On the Facebook page, there is a group for survivors and caregivers where you can ask questions or make suggestions for the podcast. I look forward to interacting with you there. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon.